0: Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're here with Bob Kaiser. Bob is an author, speaker, coach, mediator, and radio host. He empowers people to let go of fear, embody who they really want to be, and create sustainable change in their own lives. Using the challenging situations he faced during his childhood as a springboard to create the life that he wants, he now teaches those lessons through various media. We spend some time working through his book, Create the Life of Your Dreams, to use strategies he teaches to help turn a dream into reality. Let's hear Bob's story. We are so excited to be joined today
1: with author of Create the Life of Your Dreams, Bob Kaiser. Bob Kaiser is also a speaker, coach, mediator, and radio host. Welcome, Bob. We're glad you're yeah, here. Thank you. Good to see you guys. Yeah. yeah, we're excited to have you here today, and I'm excited to be here. Yeah, Thanks. and we are in Chicago with Bob today. Bob, we've known you for 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 a little while, and you have been someone um, who I've kind of watched from a distance. Who uh, has always inspired me. It just seems to have. You have fun. I would observe that you have fun. You're creative. And um, someone who I've wanted to get to know, and and I've loved that we have been able to have you here or able to have you join us here today with us. And that being said, you're not from originally from Chicago. Where
2: are you originally from? Originally, um, I was born in. I have to stop. Wait a minute. I have to say, first of all, I'm excited to be here, and that I've been listening to the work that you two have been doing, and I'm excited to be here for the creativeness that you two are doing. So I have to say, I've been watching you from afar and watching what you guys are doing. So I just have to say, that the uh, feeling is mutual. So uh, I put that out there. You. Okay, thank you. Now, <laughs> where am I from? So um, originally from Pekin, Illinois. Ooh, so Pekin, where is that? I know, <laughs> right? It's near uh, Peoria, Illinois. Oh yeah. So I was born in Pekin and then I grew up in Bloomington. Bloomington, Normal, Illinois. Yeah. So what was growing up for you like? That's a loaded question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Here Here we go. Okay. (laughs) Buckle your seatbelt. Okay. No,
2: you know, I I did not have a horrible childhood. I will say that. I mean, actually, um, I just um, had events in my childhood that definitely shaped who I am today. I will Mm. say that. So um, as I said, I was born in Pekin, Illinois, and I was born to Shirley Wentz and Bob Wentz and you'll notice my name is Bob Kaiser. Mm. So there's a reason for the name change. So, but living in Pekin, my mother died when I was three of leukemia. Mm. So I was left with my father and my half sister. Uh, And then my father moved me and my sister to Bloomington Normal, Illinois. So, and that's how we got there. Is there a reason that you moved there? That's a great question. I was wondering about that. And I'm assuming that my dad probably got a job in Bloomington. Sure, I don't know. He, he had many jobs. So he was an active alcoholic. And so I have a feeling we, he changed jobs frequently. So I have a feeling that was part of it. Sure. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so we moved to Bloomington Normal. I, I guess the next major thing in my life was that um, I was living in an apartment with my dad, and my sister, who is my half-sister, actually left quickly. She was 16 mm. when our mom died. So, uh, and my father was not her father. And uh, my father, as I said, was alcoholic and, and just a lot of issues on, of his own. So True. she left. So I was with my father and uh, my father would pass out and I would go through the apartment building looking for friends and I knocked on this door. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just see myself. <laughs> just up. walking down the hall. I did. On the I, doors. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Well, I, was, I, I, I was very friendly. Nice. How, How old were you? Three years old. Oh, wow. Imagine that now. Wow. Like,
0: oh my gosh. Couldn't even imagine it. <laughs> no.
2: But back then, um, and, and definitely... Someone or something was watching out for me. Yeah. But um, I knocked on the door across the hall from my where my father and I lived, and this couple lived there, and their name was George and Martha. George and Martha Kaiser. Hmm. So Martha became my babysitter. As my dad's disease progressed, they just started taking care of me more and more. George and Martha. Did mm. George and Martha have any kids? They didn't. What's interesting, they could not have kids. Yeah, and I look huh. like them. It is. It is. It is. I. Oh, it feels like I was born into my father's life. Because he had things to work on that I could help him with, you know, just being a child and whatever he had to work on. And then I flipped into the family I was supposed to be in. It is the weirdest, weirdest thing.
0: Yeah, but I, so I started living more and more with George and Martha. So can I ask you a question? Please. You you, you were living with George and Martha more. Did your father feel, was there like any weirdness with your dad? Was he like jealous that you were with them or was he okay with you being with them? He was human, so I'm pretty sure all
2: of those emotions uh-huh. and I also have a feeling that there was a lot of guilt and shame because of his mm-hmm. disease yeah, and that um, my father I, I truly believe that my father loved me, yeah. I, yeah, he I felt like he was my best friend when I was three and four and five, you know and he just had a disease that you know it just took him you know yeah. and, and he and I could. so this is interesting, and we'll get into it later, I guess, but looking at my father, back then, I saw him as someone who was just giving me up, you know, just didn't care. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm looking at it as like, Wow, he was struggling with the disease and he was trying to do right by me. Know what I sure. Mean? So, with George and Martha, you're saying that was he, was there weirdness? Yes, there was yeah. weirdness. And I think that he saw, at least this is the story I have in my head, that George and Martha could give me things that he just couldn't. Sure. And that's when I was 15, he gave me up for adoption. He's like, you know, yeah. So I went and lived with George and Martha. Sorry, this, yeah, just, just so I
1: could have a understanding, yeah. th- this was over a time span. This, you know, this relationship grew over the years. It didn't just happen. Yeah. Right. Well,
0: yeah, you knocked on the door at three yeah, and then 15, 15 is when they yeah, adopted right.
2: me. Yeah.
1: I mean, I mean, I can think of like people when I lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan as a kid and I remember there was this guy like, his name was Bob actually, Mr. Bob or Mr. Bill and <laughs> we, we, we would go down to his house and he was just a very nice, he had a wood shop and my brother and I would go down and we would, my dad traveled a lot for business back in those days and we would just go over and, and just hang out and I think yeah, that you talk also in your book about the importance of community as well too. Yes. Um, which we'll go into more as well but uh, you know, you uh, know, that And also, it was a different time. I
2: also, as I said, I, th- I feel like something was watching out for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. You also,
1: I uh, just uh, came to my mind, the synchronicity you do talk about, I've been listening to your your, uh, your show, and I, the serendipity and synchronicity. And Can we talk about that just for a second? Let's do it. Here? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. G- give us a, give some some of your wisdom on this, if you don't mind. Oh, I'm,
2: I think I'm still exploring it, so I will share with you where I'm at right now, Perfect. and then maybe you can share with me. Your Even wisdom. better. Yeah, synchronicity versus serendipity. I, I'm thinking right now, today, that serendipity are those one to- one-offs, Do you know, where something happens, you're like, oh, wow, that, that's really weird that lined up. Compared to synchronicity, I think, especially as a coach, I watch when people get their intentions um, in line with who they are things just start happening mm. all of a sudden they see that one that ad in the paper mm-hmm. that they actually apply for and then that leads them to x y and z or they're talking to someone all of a sudden someone says hey have you thought about x I'm like oh and i think synchronicity are those moments lined up and i it's like being in the flow mm-hmm. of creativeness and so i think synchronicity that we kind of create synchronicity versus serendipity i
0: i, I, I again maybe there's one offs but what do you two think well it's kind of like following breadcrumbs right so yes. it's like you get like a you get like a little clue and here's like one and you grab that and then right. that leads you to the next which leads you to the next which may not be the original goal or the original intention that you had set out to create or look at right. or, or go to but you you if you don't follow those clues or you don't follow those breadcrumbs yeah. You don't go anywhere, so then nothing mm. changes, and then you're just kind of stuck with where you are. And so. what if, Anthony? What if that um,
2: at a soul level we've put those breadcrumbs out for ourselves, mm.
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah? And we, yeah, we can have we make the choice if we're going to follow them or not. There's been yeah. so many times where there's been a breadcrumb, and I'm like, eh, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna ignore that one. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yep. So you went through this, you went through the adoption process, but did you always live across the hall from George and Martha like this whole time from three to fifteen, yeah. or how did that? How did that happen? I think just kind of setting that up before we go where you're going to go. Sure,
2: that's a great question. So um, when I was five or six, George and Martha moved out of the apartment building Mm -hmm. and bought a house. And they lived across town. And the story that was told, the public story was that the school district was better, I think, where my parents lived Mm -hmm. or something like that. So I would live with George and Martha. Actually, that's not right. I actually... um, I lived a little bit with them, and I also stayed with my father. Uh, but I would go to the school in their school district. Huh. I don't know. I, again, I think it was because it was better. But the other, so that was kindergarten, first grade, and then in second grade they definitely moved to normal, which had a better school district. And at that point, I started living with them on on the weekends. Or sorry, on the weekdays. So I would live with George and Martha on the weekdays, and then my dad on the weekends. Which I talk about the good go- good Bobby and the bad Bobby, and the you know that's where I. I would was like a chameleon, like with Georgia Martha. I had to follow the rules because they were professors. They didn't drink. They didn't drug. They didn't, like they were just like good, wholesome people. Yeah, yeah. And then on the weekends, I was with my father, where I kind of had basically forty eight hours to entertain myself because my father was dealing you know, drunk on the on the couch. So wow, yeah. So, but that then um, and I I started living with them more and more as my father couldn't take care of me. Out of so. curiosity.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, with that chameleon, was there anything as far as with your sexuality
2: that changed in those two places? Was you switch back and forth? The sexuality um, between the two, I think, was pretty consistent. I didn't want my father to know <laughs> I was uh, gay, and I didn't okay. want George Martha. to know So I was there was gay. no like acting oh, wow. out on the weekends or anything, or um, yes, or, there was acting or out, or exploring. but was, there was exploring most definitely. But it was neither side knew what was going on. You talk about
1: um, learning to make other people happy. Was there something that happened and you realized, oh, that this is a vehicle for me to operate and like a almost like a learned
2: system or anything like that at all? Um, that's a really good way to put it. It was definitely a learned system. Uh, I was aware that George and Martha could get rid of me at any time, no. I wasn't their child. Mm. And there was actually an incident when I was six where um, I came home uh, from school to, to Martha's house and it was Wednesday which is weird that I remember this I'm like six or seven years old but um on Wednesdays I went to the neighbor's house because she had bowling and this mm. particular Wednesday she didn't have bowling so I went to the neighbor's house and they were frantically trying to find me being Martha and George and then I came came back to their house at five like I was supposed to and she's like I can't do this you need to go with your father I can't do this so and I get it like like yeah. at the time I felt like I was being rejected like I was like oh, I'm, I I should have known that as a mm. seven or eight year old. I'm like, wow. I'm blaming myself. I should have remembered that. I should have remembered that she didn't have bowling. How could I do that? And the result was I was back with my father where it was, I was going to school He was drunk most of the time. I was lucky if I got to eat. So I learned very quickly that I had to follow the rules, and I had to I had to be two steps ahead of everybody. Mm. When you talk about that intuition, like being in the flow, I feel like I built up an intuition, a survival intuition, to be ahead of people, to read people. George talks about when he'd come in the door, I immediately would pick up if he had a bad day, and I'd be like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" Mm. Because it was life or death to me. And for him, he's like, "I just had a bad day at school," or he didn't. It had nothing to do with me. But as a child, I felt like I affected the entire world. And so it was up to me to figure out what the problem was and to fix
0: it so that I could be safe. Wow. So that's like a, that's a lot of pressure for right? a kid. That's, yeah, I mean, they're... especially seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. That's a lot. And the belief that I had that power, that's yeah. what was just mind blowing. Mm-hmm. You know, as yeah. a
2: kid that if something went wrong or I was a kid, you know, like kids, kids do stuff, you know, or I made a mistake. Yeah, that, that I had the power to, to create chaos in other people's lives or um, create chaos in mine. So, yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. That I'm just going to say that right there. That's, yeah. I mean,
1: some people spend their whole lives, like, you know, they're 60, 70 years old and they finally have that epiphany what you've had at a, at a younger age. So that awareness, that acceptance that this is the way things are now, what can I do to start changing these things in my life? Mm that's where i think that at least for myself that's where then the power has come where i'm trying to you talk about how i have no power over these people but what do right. i what, what do i do have power in so at 16 17 years old you I mean we said you actually you said at six, six or seven years old was actually when you really started developing this yeah. not, not not in your teenage years what happened you know that served you for a while you're adopted you go to high school you live with george and martha yeah. mm-hmm. Did you leave to go to college? Did you leave the home at a certain age? What
2: what happened next? Yeah, so I I went to college in my hometown, which was you know Bloomington, also Illinois State University. Um, but I did go away, so I used to be in theater and I studied in London uh, for a while. So that I got away from home there. And that was the first time like on the tube in London is the first time this woman, I'll never forget. She was like, so do you have a girlfriend, boyfriend? And it was the first time I could say, uh, I'm gay. I don't have a boyfriend, but it's like the first time I could verbally say it. On the tube in London. I love it. So I, I got to do that. I also... On the uh, in the summers and then on the weekends in the fall and spring, I did theme parks. So I worked in mm-hmm. like Great America and Saint Six Flags and all those kind of things. So um, I started branching out from my parents there, but um, starting to spread my wings. And I think that um, something that's interesting as you were talking, Jeff, that popped in my head is that I learned at an early age how to manipulate the story so mm. that people could, for people's comfort, yeah, because I wanted to make them comfortable. Yep. because if they were comfortable, then I was safe. Um, and I think that that also, I had the belief that no one person could hold all of my story. Because if they held all my story, that I would not be accepted. So I pieced it out.
1: So no one got to know all pieces of you. Not one person no. ever. No,
0: you were like your own PR agent. Yeah, you were. I mean, you were really doing damage control to make sure that people only heard the positive things so that you could stay in the circle or be accepted to be accepted
2: i quickly read people and figure out what they wanted to know from me my parents couldn't hear anything about being gay or any of those experiences so i would compartmentalize and i think that um i i watch people now and clients and even friends of mine who do this it's a lot of work yeah and it comes from a place of uh, being petrified mm. of being rejected, you know? And and, and more than petrified, I, I had been rejected. Sure. Um, I just didn't know the full story. Like going back to Martha, like after talking with my mother, you know, as an adult now, she's like, what you don't understand is you were not my child. Like if anything happened to you, the responsibility I had versus if I'd been your mother. And I was like, oh, wow. That's where the forgiveness part comes in. We were talking about before is that like, like learning more of the story, like black and white, there's always a right, wrong, but there's always, I loved Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, the more the story that's that's been my life is, the more I get more of the story that, um, yes, people have reactions about things and I'm still okay. Yeah. 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 So
1: just to for pause there, just right now. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Harvey uh, was an amazing uh, radio personality. And he specifically, I, I, I could be wrong on this, but I think I feel like like once a week on national syndicated so. radio, he would have this story and you didn't know, you didn't know who it was about, but it was behind the scenes, the making of something, someone. Yeah. And at the end you found out it was something that we all knew, but we, we never knew this part of this person or this event right. or whatever it was. And, um, they were stories the way they were interwoven that uh, he did unlike anyone I've ever known quite to to the effect um, and the intention and the purpose. And uh, it always got right to the mechanics of life. Mm. Yes. That is something that, I wish somebody was doing today, actually. Right? It's right.
0: the I mean, same thing. I'm like, oh, oh, I miss well, it. Yes. You know what they say when you don't see what you want in the world, do it yourself. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> One more thing in your copious free time, Jeff.
2: Yeah, well, listen. <laughs> Put
1: the pen down, yeah. Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> your, your book talks about how to make room for those things, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, So, uh, okay. so Bob, you talked about being these, uh, the theme parks, acting, um, and and I just, <laughs> what I thought about was you're playing characters. Do you still,
2: like, play characters today? That's a great question. Um, so going back a little bit, um, I, when I was younger, wanted to be anybody but me. And mm-hmm. when I was six or seven, I auditioned for a play, got in the play, and everyone clapped for me. Mm-hmm. And they loved me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I got the next lead in the, in the show. And I just, I just loved it because I didn't fit in anywhere. I was trying to figure out where you know I could just be safe. And on stage, it seemed safe. It didn't become, it actually was not safe later on mm. um, because with anything that you do, as you grow, you're going to get feedback. Yeah. And when that feedback came, it was devastating to me. Mm. It didn't mean I sh- I was wrong or bad, but I took it that way. Fast forward though, so I wanted to be anybody but me. Today, Jeff, I, I just want to be me. Mm. Like I, I don't want to be someone else. Um, I, I use, like when I'm doing talks or even like kind of something like this, like, yeah, I use the skills I had as an actor. But I, um, it irritates me when I'm someone else. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: interesting that some of the stuff that we use to maybe protect or manipulate, you know, fill in the blank, that now instead of me serving that, it's serving me and who and what I'm, you know, yeah. becoming. Because sometimes uh, when we, at least for myself, like when we start to make change, realize, oh, this, these are, these are, these are uh, maybe things that have been defects in my life, yeah. and then being able to understand, oh, like. I have this and how it can be an asset versus a defect.
2: The thing about acting is that um, I loved rehearsals.
0: Mm.
2: I loved playing. Mm. And I loved when I didn't have to be perfect. Mm. Cause in rehearsals is when you get to make mistakes. Right. It irritated the crap out of me during performances, especially when I was in, I did some long running shows and like night after night, having to do the exact same thing and getting a note, you were two steps off, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, Ugh. oh, no. <laughs> um, and I think that that's, that's an interesting thing too is that the perfectionism I feel for some reason when I'm acting for people I feel like there's a perfectionism part like I need to be whatever which is not true it's just in my head so
0: that's irritating to me <laughs> that's it. that's it it sounds like acting was one of those breadcrumbs so mm-hmm. like when you were younger it gave you it put you on stage where you maybe were able to feel love from the audience appreciation and you know fitting in and then as you got older it sort of sounds like it was a breadcrumb to give you those skill sets that you use now as a coach and as a radio host and all the other you know wonderful things that you do so it's interesting to see how like because I'm guessing I'm sure that at one point you thought that this was going to be your you know, theater was going to be your career.
2: It was my career until um, I, you know, I'm an addict myself. And I literally hit bottom like you wouldn't yeah. believe and Ruined that career. And yeah. back then I was like, oh, what have I done? And now, like all these years later, I'm like, oh, wow. I was I was always irritated acting. But the breadcrumb, which I love that you brought that up, Anthony, is that um, also when I was acting... I was diving into what made these people tick. Mm. I couldn't do it for myself because it was too scary to go there for myself, but I could do it for that. And when I was directing, people would say, well, I learned a lot about the show, but I learned so much about from you and living life. And yeah. that's the other piece about when I'm coaching. Yeah. Like, I feel like people are characters and they're trying to figure out their subtext, yeah. trying to figure out their intentions, trying to figure out what is their you know, main goal and what are their tactics to get there. And as an actor, that's what you're doing for a character too. So they're just kind of looking at themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting to know yourself versus getting to know the role. Yeah.
1: The thing I was thinking about right now was encouragement whether it's recovery, whether it's a life change, business change, jumping off that cliff. We're all, we're all jumping off the cliffs every day, sometimes small, sometimes big, and sometimes one that we never thought we would ever even dare even look at. I think that anyone who's listening to, it wouldn't be fair to, I mean, I'll just say right now, like, I just have a, a life that is, is, that I thought, this is the kind of life other people have.
2: Right. Mm.
1: And that's because I had to be around other people to tell me that I could have a different life.
2: And I, and I actually want to go back a little bit because I course. think you said everyone is jumping off cliffs every day. Yeah. I'm not sure if they are. Maybe oh. they are.
0: I feel like there's some people that don't. Yeah, because safety, yeah.
2: like, I, I want to say to people you know that um, safety, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, change is scary. Like, we don't know what we're going towards. Right. You know, so I, I think everyone's like, you know, Oprah's on there like, courage, yay, you know, keep you know, jumping off this cliff. <laughs> no, it's scary. It is scary as hell. Um, yeah, and, it is. Clients will come to me, and I even say it in the book, like, you know, it is not for the faint of heart changing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It can be done, but it's a lot of work and it's it's it takes a lot of courage. So with that said, I, I think the hope and faith, so I think hope and faith are what I was thinking of, and hope is, I feel like it's that I don't quite know what's gonna happen, I just hope it's gonna be good and I and I, and I trust, faith is I've done it once and I, I have faith it's gonna happen yeah. again. And people talk about their faith, you know, in, in many ways. And, and I, again, like synchronicity versus serendipity, uh, hope and faith. I think we all have different definitions, but yeah. hope for me is that, which I don't know yet, but other people have done it. Like, yeah. you, know, you know, the people who don't you know, have sobriety, people who have, you know, done the next step. Like I am at the bottom here saying, I'm never going to get out of this well. And some of the top going, yeah, I got out of here. Just take the first step. Do you know? And yeah. what's it going to be like if I step onto that step and then I'm not in the well, what's that going to be like? They're mm. like, trust me, it's going to be okay. And I don't know yet, Yeah. but I've taken the first step. So I have faith. If I take the second step yeah. to get third step. I have something to uh, look back on. So,
0: yeah, well, it's, there's, I think, uh, in order to do this, it takes, it does take courage, right? I when agree. you're making change and you know, I think we've said it a few times in this conversation already. It's like, those are just little steps. They're little breadcrumbs or however you want to, you know, describe them, but you have to go from one step to the next because otherwise there's no change. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes the hardest step is, the hardest step is the first one, but then then it's just the messiness of, change you know that that gets in the way right of like the the making it feel hard where it's really not hard it's just uncomfortable or makes you feel not secure or you're worried about finances or you're worried about you know whatever it is whatever the fear is but i think it's it's interesting just kind of going back with what you said is like everybody jumping off the cliff every day Uh, you know i don't i think there's a lot of people that don't and i I'm guilty of it sometimes where like I've you know we're doing things where I'm just like okay wait 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 we've got to slow <laughs> yeah. down like 2 seconds cuz this yeah. is just too scary for me to keep you know doing this. So I think it's uh it's encouraging <laughs> to know that you know when you're going through this that it is scary and you know yeah. it's okay to be scared.
2: Yeah, the people who are successful they weren't successful or you know they're courageous because yeah. they had a f- absence of fear. They felt the fear and they did it anyway. Yeah. And and it's okay. Like, and I, I love when people come to me, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. Why the hell would you do that? It right. is uncomfortable. And if you can get comfortable with the uncomfortable, yeah, you're gonna have a life beyond the wildest dreams. Mm, mm-hmm. And if you are, if you can, that messiness, yeah, you can get excited about the messiness. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I love it. I don't know who this was, but there was um oh, Byron Katie. Mm, uh
0: yeah.
2: Byron Katie, who I love. Can
1: you give us a little background Byron Katie? Sure. Really Byron like,
2: Katie, so she um this amazing woman, she had severe depression and so severe, she thought, thought so low of herself that um, if I remember the book, she was sleeping on the floor because she felt like she didn't deserve the bed. Mm. And one day she woke up and went, wait a minute, it's because of all these thoughts that I am in distress. It has nothing to do with around me. It's my thoughts. Yeah. Um, and so then she came up with something called the inquiry, which are these four questions challenge the thoughts she's not saying right or wrong mm-hmm. she's just saying i love she says when i argue with reality i i lose only 100 of the time mm. <laughs> 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 meaning that if i can get yes. to acceptance with it and she talks about that i think uh, she uh, had a diagnosis of cancer mm. and of course her husband was upset she's like oh i can't wait to see what happens next you know you're like what are you talking about like <laughs> but if you can get that excitement about I, I don't know what the experience is going to be, but yeah. if I get excited with the uncomfortableness with the, I don't know what's going to happen, yep. then life is going to be um, it's so interesting. I, it it it's may not be, hmm. it's not going to be good or bad, but it's going to be different. Well, and, and you're going to right. have an experience. Do you know when I go to the there theme park? Go. Sometimes right. experiences are like, yeah, yes. I never want to go on that roller coaster again. Right. And some of them are like, let's do that again. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 That's all. I love
1: that. that You said roller coaster. I, there's a, I was cleaning out, uh, some boxes and I found this, this picture of my father that I had not seen in years from mm. like King's Island in Ohio, which is theme park, right? Yes. You, have you ever been there? Oh yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> who so who <hasn't? laughs> yeah. So there's this picture. I found that, you know how they, you know, they they take t- t- that snapshot picture of you with when you're on the ride, they you know, they yeah. just sell that picture to take on with you, but, you know for a ridiculous amount of money. But um, they gotta pay the bills and pay for the characters, right? So the picture is my my dad and I are in the front of the cart, and the cart had then two other people sitting behind us. And my dad and I are like we have our like we're like fist bumping in the air, hands up in the air, and our eyes are biggest saucers, and we're like having the time of our lives. I like we look like cartoons ourselves. And the people behind us, sitting directly behind us, are white knuckling, holding. or on the same yeah. ride. We're all on the same ride. We yeah. all ended up the same when the ride. Was, I mean, as far as we we got off safely. Yeah. But these people were just the look on their face was like death pale, right. and and so like the rides right exactly so. Somebody once told me a long time ago, it was just like, you know, if I walked into a bank and you were the teller, and I pulled a gun out, what would you do? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, you put your hands in the air and you would like surrender. You would accept the fact that I'm going to shoot you or you're going to give me the money. And literally just even like we're sitting here and you guys, people listening can't see this. I'm putting my hands up yeah. in the air above my head like we would be on the roller coaster. And I literally till this day, every time I do that, I can feel my palms get lighter and my fingertips just kind of like light up. And, but, but that being said, it's because I did that ride the first time with my dad, probably at a younger age, and then we did it again. So I knew, oh, well, you know, that this hell is going to be crazy. It's going to be whatever. And then just kind of just stepping back for a second. You know. Wait, so you had
2: faith there you that are. it was going to be, because you would already done it once. Yes.
1: Interesting. Yes. And, and I said, I said, we're jumping, people are jumping off cliffs every day. I don't, and I've been rethinking that. I think people are taking <laughs> steps
0: mm. and every now and then we're jumping off a cliff. I agree. You that. know, kind of what you guys were saying yeah. earlier. Yeah. Um, it's so I listen, yes. I'm just kind of going back we i listen to a lot of entrepreneur driven podcasts and read a lot of entrepreneur driven books and the common theme that you hear from people who started ma- like major companies now it's the fear them obviously being afraid at some point in this process or the journey of, maybe it was when they quit their day job or mm-hmm. when they um, they sort of took the next step and maybe took the loan or the VC money or wh- whatever it is. Right. But it's that fear, instead of it becoming a, a, a crippling or having a crippling effect on them, it's the fuel that then gives them the, the ability to soar.
1: In your book, Bob, you talk about committing to change.
2: Mm. What does that mean? It's a great question. So uh, committing to the process of change. And, and and what that means is good, bad, or indifferent, whatever that journey is, that you're going to keep the intention of um, the open-mindedness and the willingness to move to the next level, whatever that may mean, compared to, I think, the closed-minded, like, um, the, the people come to me sometimes and they want, you know, X in their life and they are, they are the destination driven versus the journey. Do you know and I think? Committing to change, change is a journey. It's like, so we, we usually hear the PR about when people get to their destination, Do you know, these overnight successes, you know, I have a friend of mine who's very successful and he worked nine or 10 years to be that overnight success sensation. So committing to change is committing to the highs and lows that you're going to um, you're going to stay in the process. Mm. So to me, that's what committing to change is. Then whatever happens, it doesn't matter because you're still moving forward, right? And that but- if if people can, I think that judgment of oneself is probably the worst detriment to anybody. Mm. Like I think of things as I love the idea of the GPS of life. So mm. if, I'm, if I'm going to California. The GPS says, "Great, take a right, you know, on Ashland. You take a left here, and then you go. Do you know what? And then I let's say I take a a, a left instead of a right. The GPS doesn't go, go, you stupid! Why'd you do that?'" <laughs> no, the GPS just goes, "Okay, recalculating." Mm. And a lot of times, with my um, when I'm working with someone and something happens, and say they they're like, "Oh, I did something stupid today." Oh, no, let's recalculate, and maybe that quote unquote stupid thing actually was the perfect thing, mm. you know, with the perfect detour. So I kind of go back to that and that's something I had to really use in my own life because I was mm. really hard on myself. Mm. So, you know, words
1: we're, were changing, but then how do we know what we really want?
2: Right? Well, that's the million dollar question. Yes. <laughs> what is it that we really really want? So, I can I can say that um I tell people to work more with feelings that they want to have mm. more than the exterior things. I, people who have gotten what they wanted, like just on the outside, sometimes they're really happy, um, but usually it's not the experience they thought it would be. And they go back to, I thought it was going to be like this. So I suggest, let's start with that first and let that be the driving force. So is that the question you asked? Well, me? You know, know I, no, no, no <laughs> definitely. And, and, what,
1: and what I'm hearing from you is is that, that discovery process. Yes. That's where it's at. Or at least, you know, it's, it's part of the part of that. You know, we talked about someone just getting from one from, you know, being very successful. No, there was that—that that the development, the the actual,
2: the creation part of it. Right. And wow. what is it that you really want? Like working with clients. First of all, it's getting through the guards that we have up mm. that immediately shoot down those wild ideas. When I'm working, when I'm working with someone, and we'll go through like probably three or four sessions, and they're like, maybe this, maybe that. Like the fifth or sixth session, they'll come in and say, Bob, I have this crazy idea. I'm always like, that's it. Mm
0: -hmm. It always is that one. That they
2: have to like they have to kind of justify. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's I know it's crazy. I know it's stupid, but you know, and that's where I'm like, this is it. Bring it on. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's when we're in touch with those things that like acting gave me, I was very sandpaper. I felt sandpaper when I was acting. Coaching, I don't care if I coach another day of my life, to be honest. Mm. I just know when I'm in coaching someone that I feel like I'm present. Mm. I'm in the moment. Yeah. And there's not a lot of other things I do that I feel like I'm in the moment and i feel like i don't have an attachment to it compared to other things i've done in my life mm-hmm. i have to do this i have to get this because if i don't do this i'm scared this is going to happen mm-hmm. and those are i think once built out of uh, out of a you know a, a need or a self protective need or, or something like that and i and i also talk about people about um, interests versus uh, like positions versus interest, which is those concord, like I want the cookie. No, you want the cookie, right? Why is it that you want the cookie? you know? And then that, that want or that need can be fulfilled a
0: number of ways. And maybe there's a way that will actually help you or be better off. Mm. I I think when, uh, when you said that when you're coaching, you feel fully present and that it doesn't matter if you do it, you don't do it, whatever I feel like, cause I've been there and I, Mm. when I've done certain, You know when I've been in my professional career and I feel that in those moments it's like you're just kind of soaring and there's just you're you're not really in control it's just kind of like something else is just taking over and like letting you do your thing and you're almost like a vehicle for something else that's happening Um, and I think it's just interesting I, I, I feel like when that happens it's like you know that that's what you should be doing. And then I think when that stops happening, that's when maybe there's a time to shift.
1: You talked about some tools in discovering what you really want. And one of them, Anthony, you have
0: had great experience with, I feel like. Yeah, so one of those tools uh, is a vision board, mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting how you were earlier. You were talking about you know how like you you have to do all of this discovery work, right, to sort of get to what it is that you want to be doing. And I remember before I was even able to create my vision board, mm-hmm. there was there was just so much journaling I had to do. I remember I would just go on walks and think, and then you know when thoughts came to my head, I would write those things down to. Sort of discover what it is this thing that I wanted to create. My vision board uh, story was I saw it on Oprah. <laughs> so, right. uh, you know, watching, I don't even remember who it was, who the guest was, who was talking about it. But the whole concept was to put what it is that you want on a board so that you could visualize it to see it so that it could happen this tool that you use is this a tool you still suggest to your clients to help them
2: a hundred ten percent I think that though it's interesting I think there's two different ways to think about why to do a vision board mm. I know there's the 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 secret the, the the you know all the different names that the secret has down you know, for the different um, authors and everything there, there's this magical source that will bring you what you want um that I don't think has been my experience for me, it's about that our minds, like we can take in something like three billion stimuli at any given second. Mm-hmm. but we can only process about two hundred fifty thousand. So yeah. there's a lot of stimuli we can't process, right? So it's kind of putting in the lenses that uh, to to look at life, for what we want. So the vision board kind of puts in those lenses. And so all of a sudden when I'm in life, I'm going around, all of a sudden I see a sign that maybe I wouldn't have seen before, which leads me to that next step. I see the breadcrumbs. But I think the vision board gives me an idea. It tells the brain, the brain loves to solve problems. So we say, hey brain, I want this. Help me get it. Mm. So I do want to say that maybe it's magical. Maybe there's some kind of outside mystical force that helps it. And I definitely had those instances where I'm like, this is kind of weird that this just happened. But I think that the more logical part of me thinks that it's the telling our brain, you know, this is this is what we're looking for. This is the focus. Now go find it.
1: Just really quick. I love that. I've never heard that uh, with the lenses. And it, to me, it clicks so easily. And it makes it very simple. If you ever, anyone, then you, know, you decide, oh, I want to get this Mustang car. Next thing you know, you're seeing Mustangs everywhere you go. Yep. Right? Right. It's just, I mean, I think that's exactly. a very relatable example of that. I,
2: I'll say one more thing um, is that with the mystical part is that the part I find um, people say, you know, oh, it's this mystical thing. Then I think it says that the universe is judging what I want and if I get it or don't get it. And my view is the, the universe is conspiring for me. It doesn't literally, I don't think the universe cares what I want per se. I'm a part of a greater thing. But if I want to get into the flow of things, you know, then I can kind of help these things come to me as in, you know, we said the lens and everything. The other way, especially with, you know, some of the intention setting, it it kind of freaks me out that way. a minute. So my intention was, I, I went to, I was a at one time with this church. And they, they were teaching us how to pray. And this minister said to me, Yeah, your prayer wasn't correct. And I was like, what? It's not correct. <laughs> Well, no, because you have to phrase it this way if you want to get this. And I was like, "And scene, yeah. I'm done, <laughs> out." But I like, I don't feel the universe is, is meant to be manipulated or something like that. So yeah, that's uh, that's my thought.
1: <laughs> that's something that I had uh, a couple years ago started uh, focusing on was that uh, intention is neutral. Does that yeah. make sense at all? Yes. That, that, right. So it's not it's either good or bad, um, but it's neutral. But so that's why I have to be to can remind myself that I have to be tender with myself. I also have to be humble right? to the fact that things do affect me and who I surround right. myself with, whether it's music,
0: in my daily life. like What you're seeing in your social media feeds, what's yes. on television, what's uh, all of those things, what neighborhood you live in, what you see, what you witness walking down the street when you're driving a yeah. your car, all of those things. Mm. I, I hope it does. If it doesn't, then- I, don't know. I think that for a well-oiled system, it should be affecting you. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: So, if there's someone um, out, someone listening who's maybe thinking about putting together a vision board, mm. uh, do you have any tips on what yes. that would look like?
2: Yes. <laughs> be messy. Have fun. You can change it. It's not permanent. Right. You know. And if you're a perfectionist, what a great opportunity. And this is this is a tool. Um, I have clients that just it, this is really hard for them. Yeah. Because you're like, what if I put the wrong thing on there? It's okay. It's fine. Put the wrong thing on there. You can change it. You can do. I like. I do one every five years. You know, it's it's a fun thing. Yeah. Go through magazines and just look at the pictures and and I don't know why I like that coat. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna cut it out. Yeah. You know, and it's I. I it's again that the curiosity of the soul. Let just explore, have fun. Yeah. And if you look at it as tedious or it makes you nervous, I would look at that part of it and mm. challenge yourself to just get messy with it. Yeah. Sometimes with vision boards, we think we have a set way of how it's supposed to happen. Correct. And you said yes. And <laughs> yeah. people who are successful say yes. Yeah. I've noticed that. Yep. Yeah. You know, even if it's yes, you're like, ah, I don't know what that's gonna be. Yeah, I'll say yes. Whatever. You know? Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah.
1: Then it's, it's interesting with, with the yes, it's uh, I say yes. And then I accept it too. Mm.
2: Does that
1: make sense? It's uh, there's been times where it's, and, and just to clarify anybody, the other wonderful thing has come from, from some of this, this stuff that you offer here is also that when I do say no, I'm saying no for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like that uh, understanding that earlier about how things do affect me, that I have a finite amount of time. Like that's actually my ultimate currency is my time. Right. Um, right. Cause yes. how is this? And that has been a work in progress. I think probably is for most people and understanding like, how like I have a, a calendar and that there is time that is earmarked. I don't know exactly what it is, but it has to look like and smell like this mm. for that part of that week of my life. You know, we, we, we know that we have to, we have to, every day, we're going to eat three times, three times a day, right? That's just a given. But when I started then taking, you talk about that power that was trying to control other people. When I start to insert that on myself, of laying like, okay, no, this is what Jeff needs. I need a little bit of meditation, you know, four or five days a week. It's just 15 minutes. And it's, yeah, I can say to myself, let's just 15 minutes, it'll happen. Well, it just doesn't happen unless it gets put on that calendar. Right. Yeah, and, I, and I would think that, that maybe there's a really, I'm just, I mean, this is very simple, but I don't know the the label just came on now, that the, the calendar in a way is a vision board as well too.
2: Oh, that's a really good way to put it. I hadn't mm. thought about that. Yeah, and that's to your point, um, if I need to get things done and I'm not getting them done, I put them on my calendar. So yeah, that's really good. I like that light bulb. <laughs> I may use that light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you've given us so many, so please share away.
0: In the in your book, you outline smart goals. So, so I think maybe even before talking about that, so you've gone through sort of this whole discovery period. You sort of have an idea of what you want. There is there's some sort of you have to sort of set some intention on why you want uh, what it is that you want. Then you need to take action. Mm-hmm. So in taking action, I hear this often where someone maybe has a dream they they dream that they want to open up a bakery or they mm-hmm. want to be a an actor or they want to whatever the dream is but i feel like dreams are things that like nothing happens from a dream a dream mm-hmm. is just the idea you need some you need a plan you need goals to get you to make that dream happen. And uh, when I was reading about the SMART goal system, it seems like it's a, that is almost a way to sort of take your dream and mm-hmm. create an action plan to make that, that work. So could yeah. you speak to um, what the SMART goals are?
2: Sure. And I, I think back in a couple of steps is that, sure. um, is that, is that if you're creating quote unquote, your dream life, that first of all, before you do the SMART goals is to make sure it lines up with your values of mm, who uh, you are. And they're not someone else's values. They're your values. Right. And if all of that is in line, and this is really something you want, then the SMART goals is the next thing that can kind of help you get there. Because if you're, you keep hitting a wall with your goals, I don't care how good the smart goal is. If it's not in your heart, you can manufacture it. It will mm-hmm. come true. It will come true. But it, your life could be worse <laughs> than <laughs> sure. religion was. So I mean, so really make sure that's fueled with your um, values and your passions. So with that said, so the smart goals, we get overwhelmed really easily.
0: Mm.
2: We get, and it's just a fact. And as I said, the brain likes to solve problems. So smart goals is a way to give your brain uh, a problem to solve. Basically, SMART goals come from the um, corporate world or from the business world. So Mm. it's it's not a new idea, and and many people in the business world will have heard of it. Uh, It stands for a goal that is specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-oriented. So uh, with the specificity, I think that many times we think in grand terms, which is which is great, but the mind gets overwhelmed yeah. and it doesn't know quite what, what are we going for, guys. So it's saying, this, this is what I'm going for. I'm going for exactly this thing. Great. So now is that measurable? Mm. So does it have, do you know when, it will start and when it will be finished. If not, the brain—it's really hard for the brain to kind of uh, to to motivate itself to do that. So, do you know when it starts, when it stops? Is it achievable? Is it even possible? Mm. I may know when to start it and how it stops, but I can't do it. I'm one human. Great. So it is achievable for one person, you know, it is achievable goal. Now is it realistic for my life? Mm. My life, my schedule. So let's say I plan to do, you know, invitations. I'm going to do 50 invitations for my friend's, you know, wedding to help help her with that. Great, but then I don't have the time to do it. Like I have all these other obligations, so I keep putting it off because I'm like 50 that's way too much. But I could help her with ten. Mm. So then I make the goal to be realistic for me, which mm. is ten. And the last part is time oriented, and this I, this is fascinates me. Is that um, if you tell the mind it has to be done by five o'clock, you may do it at four fifty-five, but you'll have it done by f- five o'clock. Do you know, it's mm. kind of when we, in school when you get mm-hmm. these, you know, deadlines. You know, it's just like the mind likes to work with the deadline. Compared to if I don't have a due date, it's going to be sometime next week. It's just that it, at least me, it, it gives me anxiety. And it also, it, it it does not make for a good, good deadline.
0: <laughs> me too. <Good> goal. So I'm <laughs> um,
2: giving, and, and, and uh, a side note on that is like for meetings, if you want a meeting, let's say if a meeting at, uh, a lot of people do it on the hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I suggest doing it at 4.57 or 5.02. And people mm. will be on time because at five o'clock, people know, oh, okay, it's around five o'clock. But if it's very specific, the more specificity, for some reason the brain it like makes a bookmark and the brain knows more or, or realizes more i don't know what happens but yeah. it's interesting interesting phenomena
1: <laughs> there's a there's a there's a meeting i go to and it's at 11 and you're exactly yes. right it's so funny <laughs> <Everyone>, Yep. <yeah. laughs> and
0: and and god knows i think it speaks to this i'm not the best when it comes to time management jeff doesn't understand time he <laughs> it's doesn't hard. get it, it it's it, hard, yeah, he yeah. doesn't get it but i think you're right I, I, the I personally work better on a schedule. And if yeah. I know that, because I think, you know, going back to, you know, having daily goals, like there's things that have to get done every day. It's if you know, if at a certain time frame this has to be done in this block of time or it's on the calendar, I just think, I know for me, it just makes everything easier. And then also doesn't make the rest of the week or the, like the, you know, the later part of the day, it doesn't feel overwhelming. It feels like I can, t- I can take on little by little throughout the day. And, yeah. and then it's like, then my goals become more achievable or yeah. easily achievable. So.
2: All the big goals are small goals put together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing I would say that if people are not achieving their goals, that not to beat themselves up, but approach them with curiosity, mm. is it you're overwhelmed, is that it's not fitting in with your uh, values, you know? So there's so many reasons, and yeah. I love people coming to me saying they're lazy. I've never met a lazy person. We do exactly what we want to do, right? We always do. So right. there's always if you're not doing something, there is a reason why you're not doing it. Mm. And maybe it's overwhelmed. Maybe don't. who knows what it is. Sure. But um, anyway, with
1: coaching, any, anyone and everyone could benefit from a coach in their life uh, to ask these questions. And I can tell you really enjoy. it. You are so good at what you do. And I can uh, thank you. It's uh, it's really fun talking to you about these uh, these wonderful tools that you. I, mean, I use the word tool kind of the placeholder I use for. I'm sure there's a much better words than that. Um, gifts, maybe that would be the maybe mm-hmm. be a better word. So when we get in action, the natural course of things, if we're out living our lives and living productive lives, we are going to bump into obstacles and right? things. So you use a word in the book that <laughs> Anthony and I have love and it's called gremlins. Yes. And I think that it's wonderful to be able to call out like, so like when I know it, like to be like, it's a gremlin, like to actually almost <laughs> laugh, like I'm laughing right now. Like yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's. it's but it's true. So, but these gremlins
0: It's do, not a gizmo. It's, it's not a gremlin. G- 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 <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Do
2: not feed it after
0: midnight. Nope.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and also sometimes, uh, I also use a word like mantras too. Can you talk to me and Anthony about, and everyone else here, about gremlins <laughs> and, and what you've found in your, in your work?
2: Yeah, sure. So, gremlins um, are those voices inside of us that they mimic our own voice and they're are I statements. Mm. And they are born to keep us safe. So, and they're usually born out of situations in which we are surprised by something or we're unsafe or, and basically the gremlin's job, sole purpose is for us not to do that again. Mm. So let's say that I get up on stage and I go to sing and my voice cracks and everyone starts laughing at me. George the gremlin is born and says, okay, my job is I'm never going to, you are never going to feel that embarrassment again. Mm -hmm. So George says, when I start to maybe get up on stage again, like someone says, it's not that bad, Bobby, go and get up there. George goes, nope, Bobby, you know what? You can't sing. Mm. And actually it says, I can't sing. So it sounds like my voice. I can't sing. I can't do it. And what's these gremlins keep us from doing these things that help us grow because they are mm, they keep the memories of what our past experiences were, mm. or they they hold their manifestation of our fears. So maybe something didn't even happen, but we're afraid it's going to happen. you know? Um, so they're born to keep us safe. The issue with them is that the two things is that they their voices become our voices. So we think that it's actually us and it's not us. It's just a part of us that is trying to keep us safe. And the other thing is that most people attack them as in, They are the enemy. Mm -hmm. Like the gremlin is the enemy. And uh, the gremlins are, they're probably the people that are most on our side. Mm. They just want us to be safe. They just don't want us to hurt. They just don't want us to go through uncomfortable experiences. I get that. They're also very one-sided and single-visioned. So my job is to find out, first of all, what, what the gremlin wants. Mm -hmm. I never want you to go on stage again and sing. So I I have a very specific example of this. So I I used to be a singer sang professionally, like I, I, that's what I was paid to do. And I always, this voice in my head always said I was flat.
0: Hmm. I had a
2: very renowned opera singer who was my teacher. And I'd be like, I'm flat. I'm flat. She's like, Bob, I know flat. You are not flat. You are, (laughs) you are on pitch to the point of, I would hear myself flat. Like I would Mm -hmm. have to record my, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So backing up, I remember I was doing those plays I talked about Mm -hmm. and I thought everything's going great. Everyone loves me. And Winston Gieske, who uh, he actually is, I'm not sure if you heard, he writes for one of the, um, he wrote for Out Magazine and he does all this stuff. Anyway, cool guy. I really looked up to him. But anyway, Winston Gieske, we were in a play together and he's like, you are so flat. And I was like, what is this flat you speak of? I I had no idea. And it took me by surprise. I was like, wait, I thought I was doing great. And all of a sudden, I wasn't. In fact, I was making a fool out of myself. So that gremlin was born. and said, you know, you're never going to do that again. Fast forward. So uh, how I had to deal with this gremlin was I, first of all, had to realize it was trying to keep me safe. That's it. Mm -hmm. But what it didn't realize is I would not support that. I wouldn't sing out because I was scared of going flat. And then it actually would make it happen. Oh, wow. So I made a deal with it. So I said, he's like, well, I've got to make sure that you don't go flat. So I said, well, what if I record myself? I listen back and I'll make sure that I'm not flat. And then, you know, and if I am, then I'll work on it. So the voice didn't go away. I still heard it, but I could still sing through it. And that Mm. was ultimately, you know, what happened for me at that. So it's those moments when we hear like, I'm stupid. Uh, I I can't do that. And to just kind of take a step back and say, so what if you could, you know? Yeah.
1: I think it's interesting that... You first of all said that the gremlin is born, and it's the same way like like a child. Like a child, I wouldn't, same thing also with a puppy. Like I wouldn't get upset for a puppy for making a mess. Right. And if I can, you took that gremlin, you held its hand, you approached it with love like a child, like a newborn. I mean, mean, a newborn because it's talking, but (laughs) but like (laughs) like a bed. We don't have kids, just dogs. But um, you showed it like, hey, listen, it's okay. Like there's no boogeyman underneath the bed. Right.
0: with a gremlin as an obstacle in your life, the best way to do it is to, it's almost like you have to face it head on and talk to it and make a deal, almost like make a deal with it. And then once you make a deal, then it's time to keep moving forward.
2: Yeah, and also to acknowledge that what it's done for you, Mm. thank it, you know, thank it for everything. Even my addiction, I think. My addiction for me was a circuit breaker. Mm. The things I had to deal with, I just couldn't deal with. I did not have the tools. Yeah. So the circuit breaker would go off, I would go use and it would take care of that. Um, that part, um, I, that, that gremlin, I call Fred, um, Fred, <laughs> but Fred was so Fred would take a bullet. Like he knew everybody was going to be mad at him. Like there'd be shame, guilt. He's like, I don't care. You can't deal with this. You're going out. So, um, it took me a long time to kind of, uh, make friends with Fred and to realize that he, he had my back. And now like, if I, you know, have a using thought, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I'm being overwhelmed here. Maybe I need to take a step back. So uh-huh. those gremlins are still there to, I mean, they still have their jobs. Yeah. So. And sometimes you can reassign their jobs too if they're really good at like mm. Fred. He monitors, you know, he monitors, you know, how anxious I'm getting, how you know, upset, and he'll let me know, hey, buddy, you know, you're, you're getting a little getting a little overwhelmed here. So
0: yeah, that's that's interesting. So I like in the book you talk about other obstacles, fear, self sabotage, procrastination, you know, these yeah. other other things. And as soon as you just said you've sort of reassign that job, I feel like. Almost any of those fears, you can take that fear and not twist it, but reassign it or renegotiate its purpose in order to fuel you to that wherever it is that you're going or what you're trying to get through.
2: A lot of the fears, if you just acknowledge them, they transform. Mm. That is the first step of transforming any fears. Mm. You have to acknowledge it. The more you fight it, oh, yeah, they're, they're they're you know, and I think with the self sabotage. Uh, Gay Hendrix and I, I mentioned this book in my book, Gay Hendrix, The Big Leap, and he talks about the four beliefs uh, that cause self sabotage, and it's like a temperature gauge, and we are programmed for whatever reason to accept a, 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 a limited amount of success due to not wanting to over to outshine people or maybe we feel like we don't deserve it, but we automatically do things to keep us at that level. Like mm. you see a lot of celebrities, celebrities who will like have a big hit movie. And then two weeks later, they're in the paper because they got busted with whatever. It's right. like, oh, things are going too well. i got to do something to kind of bring myself back down. Mm. And I think even acknowledging, like, you know, I, I don't deserve this. Mm. The minute you can say that out loud, someone can say, no, that's that's actually not true. Mm. And let's yeah. kind of walk through this. But until I acknowledge it. What I, I think I just want to acknowledge is that you are creating
1: a space where it's an hour a week with a client. And to, to be fair, I, 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 you're, I'm not your client. I'm just assuming this is mm-hmm. this is my, my take. Is that? But maybe I could be. But if <laughs> 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 they were like, well, we've well, <laughs> we <both." laughs> right? That's a, that's another. it's a uh-huh. private conversation. <laughs> 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 with all adoration. Um, so, but setting a time, whether it's an hour a week or two hours a week, whatever it is, um, maybe more in the beginning, but to allow a space for to bring these things up to the light. You mm-hmm. know, uh, there's an over. Uh, there's an umbrella or an arc in in, in the work that I feel like you do with acceptance and forgiveness and bringing mm. things up to the light and um, you know life is busy life is fast but to take that time for yourself like once a week why not like right. you know if, if you're not going to do it for yourself like you know I'm depriving the the world of really getting to know who, back to who you were as a child I'm depriving the world of my more of my authentic of who I am my authentic version of myself and my experiences the more authentic I am with myself the less the gremlins are then I'm connecting more with the people I'm supposed to be with taking it all back into that synchronicity or serendipity, whatever you choose to call it, breadcrumbs, mm-hmm. breadcrumbs, You're <laughs> right. the light in the tunnel. And I just, I mean, I just feel like this conversation is naturally propelling us towards gratitude right now.
2: I love that. Yes. Yeah. Our, our gratitude, which uh, I'm just saying this on the spot, but I think it is one of the most trans transformational things that you can do for yourself is to acknowledge your gratitude. Like automatically, you know, it's hard to be in a bad mood if you if you're full of gratitude, I think. I'm gonna say it's one of the most transformational. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but in my mind, it is. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: I, get but hands I so in uh, in the book you talk about being able to state things that you're grateful for, and I know like for myself, every morning, one of the things that I do before I get out of bed, there's a, a little meditation practice that I have, and the last thing I do is I walk through the things from the previous day or the week or whatever that I feel the most grateful for, and I know you know, it helps me to just get out of bed with a smile and, you know, try to put sort of the best foot forward, you know, for the day. And I can, and I'm sure Jeff can notice too, I notice when I don't do that practice in the morning, I can notice a difference in the morning uh, in my um, attitude because it definitely, it shifts. So I think it's being able to focus on those good things in your life i think it just helps transform the rest of your day to go through your day to you know to see those signs that you maybe right. wouldn't have seen before or you know follow the 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 trail of where it is that you're going
2: yeah it's it's uh deciding which pair of glasses you're going to wear to see the world mm. today are you going to see it through the you know everything's negative glasses and that's what you'll find it, yeah. you know you'll find it or you put the gratitude glasses on so and i think that all of this also is talking to the, you asked about what is committing to change. It's all of this. Yeah, It's going through all these processes. So, and I think that with working with people, I love that you said I hold space. Um, I'm not, um, I completely believe that Jeff and not a lot of people have said that. So thank you for acknowledging that is, yeah, my, I think it's just acknowledging that space and committing to for once a week that um, clients are going to come and they're going to dive into this mm-hmm. messy pool and I'm let's let's get messy, do you know? yeah, and, um, yeah. That's that's I like that. So
1: starting out, how often do you meet with a client? Once a week.
2: Once yeah. a week okay. uh, for twelve weeks.
1: For twelve weeks, and then and then then I, and I think that then also then you're having your own daily. So if I'm meeting with you like once a week, and then what Anthony you talked about then having that meditation in the morning, holding that space for myself. Each day, and then having like a there's something about seven days that shows up in a lot of different things, right? That mm-hmm. weekly thing about how it works, you know, our skin, you know, in seven days, a cut yeah. a wound it mm-hmm. heals, uh you know, a right. minimal scar or something like that, you know, minimal yeah. cut obviously. But uh yeah, there is a there, I don't know, life, it, this just, this, this natural conversation is just makes me just see, mis- it brings me back almost to a mis- mysticism that I can see mysticism. You, you think about back in the day before we had, um, uh, washing machines. If you've ever seen, like, if you ever go to the Cracker Barrel, they've got oh, like a washboard. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. This what you walked us through. This is like a washboard for my soul, for my brain, for mind, yeah. body, physical. It's it's a and it, taking apart like what, what Anthony said and what you just said. Um, allowing space for that washboard to be in my life.
2: Yeah, and I gotta say too that when I listen to podcasts like you know the the one that we're we're creating here or even something that Oprah does something. I, I can use those to kind of show what I'm not doing or to beat myself up. So I mm-hmm. really encourage everybody that if you're not doing those, these things, that's okay. Totally, yes. It is completely fine. Like I did not wake up one day and start doing all this stuff. And there's times when I come in and out of the process. So true. And there are days when I get up, I'm like, I don't want to be grateful. Right, right. I don't yep, want to be. Right. And then I then halfway through the day, I'm like, oh, this Ugh. is just uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to have a change in your life, if you want something different, try these things Ah, Mm. try them but i sometimes i can like i'll listen to all this stuff and especially my younger days i would look at all the self-help stuff and then i would beat myself up and that actually is not getting you any further you know that's not being part of the process so enjoy life and gratitude if you just one thing on this podcast just start practicing gratitude and your life will be different it will so
0: yeah i couldn't agree more yeah yeah
2: well
1: bob thank you and you know, to everyone listening, what he just said there—that's really important. And I, and, I, and I want to make a mental note to, to keep that in mind more often because we all had to start somewhere and just to right. start. You know,
2: yep, yeah. And today you listen to this podcast. Congratulations, that was it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah yep. And if you do something else, then and if it's just and more, if you just yeah. made the bed yeah, today, and that's all yeah. you did today. Right? And you did the bed for the last two years. So that's a start. Right. That's where I had to start. Um... I didn't yell at that person in the grocery store. Good. Though yeah. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs>
1: so maybe I did. So. <laughs> You know, Bob, this has been just a wonderful, thank you for holding space for us today uh, and having this conversation. So we are going to post links to your your book and uh, to some of the other wonderful places that they can experience Bob Kaiser in their lives. Yeah, thank you so much.
0: We hope you learned some new lessons on how to turn your dream life into reality. Here's our first Talk Out Loud interactive experience. Find those scissors and a magazine get a glue stick and a poster board, and create your own vision board. And remember, like Bob said, make sure you have fun while you're doing it. You can tweet or DM us on Instagram or Facebook a photo of your vision board, which is at Talk Out Loud Live, and you can watch me as I share my own vision board, walking through how I turn some of my dreams into reality. You can also visit our website under Bob's profile to check out his book, and have access to some other resources he has provided. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA community, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store. Thanks again for listening. And remember to be true, be you, and to talk out loud.